The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Thank you, Donna. Um, who here is in agreement that um, both Donna and Vicky should do the Bible reading every week with their English accents? And when they say holy, it's way better than holy. Like holy doesn't sound holy. Um, it's true. It's wonderful. Can we <laughs> can we just thank Donna for reading God's word to us? Hey, uh, if you are new, my name is Kylum. I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here at uh, LCC, uh, and we have just finished uh, being in a, a series going through uh, Matthew uh, chapter five to seven. So we looked at the Sermon on the Mount for sixteen weeks. Uh, now we're going to be in a short series, uh, just looking at some relationships, and then we're going to be in the book of Daniel. Um, so as Shane sort of said last week, if you have a Bible, start reading the book of Daniel um, and see if you can get past chapter 6 and get into some of the, the trickier bits. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles actually out the back through the, uh, the foyer that you came through. You can just grab one, take one, that's our gift to you. Um, and yeah, so we're going to get into this for a little bit. But um, as Marie said, we've been supporting C. Clay and Renewal Church for a number of years. So for those of you who might be a little bit new... Um, our church, um, basically, we give away 10% of what we get to other churches. So we essentially, whatever comes into general, we are trying to seek uh, ways to love and serve other churches because we don't think that we're the only church that exists. And so we've been supporting different church plants and different missionaries uh, for a number of years. And so we've been supporting them. So even the building that you saw there, you have contributed to helping Renewal Fellowship have that building. So we want to say thank you for that. Um, additionally, uh, we had the Paxes here recently. Uh, they've now moved back to the Ukraine. We've been supporting them for a number of years. Um, and we took up an offering basically over a month, a period of, of June, uh, May. And we said anything that people give towards the Paxes, a particular couple in our church, would double that up to uh, $10,000. So just to give you an update, uh, we have raised a total of $21,817. That's going to go to the Paxes. Um, so thank you for your generosity. Um, that is really, really cool. Um, speaking with Shane, even just this week, they've gone back uh, to where they are. Um, when they were over here, they obviously came back for, for the wedding of, of Esther and just had some family time, spent some time in Perth. Uh, but during that time, the school that their youth meets in was bombed. And so they've gone back and they've seen the, the devastation of even just where their youth group was meeting. Um, and so we need to not just be giving finances. <laughs> finances will do some things and that'll be very helpful, but prayer... Uh, is a supernatural power um, because God works through prayer in amazing ways. So our money can't sustain them, um, but God can sustain them and his people can pray for them. So I want to encourage us to keep praying for the Paxes, um, keep praying for C. Clay and his family, um, that God would keep, to, keep sustaining these, these men and women that are serving the Lord in, in difficult uh, contexts. So thank you so much for your generosity. Um, that will go to them uh, this month and uh, they can be greatly appreciative of that. So we are in a short series for a few weeks on relationships. And just to set it up, um, in this church, we have people from different walks of life. So we've got single people in this church who are hoping to one day be married. Uh, we've got single people in this church who are not that interested in, in being married. Uh, we have single people with a very, very strong desire to be married. We have people engaged on the way to be married. We have newly, yay, this is fun, married we have, we're a little while in, what in the world, married? 
I don't think I signed up to this. We've got married, both partners are Christians. We've got married, one partner Christian, one partner not. We've got married, neither Christian. Uh, We have married with kids. We've got married, not yet with kids. We've got married, not interested in kids. We've got married, struggling to have kids. And we've got married, we're ready to trade in our kids. Uh, We have a broad spectrum of of places in which we are relationally uh, in our church, but the Bible has a lot to say, and no matter where you are in in your spectrum of of your relationships, um, I hope that this series can be beneficial to you no matter where you are. And so today, we we read the whole passage of Ephesians uh, 5 there, and we read basically from 15 to 33, but often what we do is we, we skip and we go straight to 22, to 33 and then we talk about relationships and we forget that actually Paul had a lot to say before he even gets to that part. In fact, the part we're looking at today, he then goes, okay, that's the primary principle. Now let's talk about marriage. Now let's talk about the the parent-child relation. Now let's talk about employee-employer relationships. And so this is the principle that we need to get before we understand how we do any sort of relationship. And so uh, what Paul wants to do here is kind of go, hey, look, there's, there's a significant problem that every relationship faces, and there's a really great solution to that problem. And basically, he outlines this idea of selfishness and serving of self and how the gospel and particularly the Holy Spirit uh, comes and changes our hearts and lives. So let's start off with the problem, okay? So he says here in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So look at the language that Paul uses here. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't don't follow the, the, basically he's saying, don't follow the spirit of the age. The, The world around us, the culture in which we live in, is not holy. It doesn't have a Christian worldview. It has a secular worldview, and it predominantly has a worldview which is self-serving. This is what he says when he says, like, this is what unwise and foolish look like. It looks like to get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. Now, when we hear the word debauchery, we we tend to think it means like this really disgusting, depraved thing. Okay, Debauchery in the Bible literally just means wasteful. So it's this idea that what it looks like to be of the world and not of God is to live your life in such a way that you are serving yourself and wasting your life away. Some people do that. He uses an example of some people are doing that with alcohol. So the point of getting drunk is just to think of you. Okay, I have not been a Christian my whole life. I never once previous to being Christian got drunk with the intent of like this is going to be good for all of you. It's self-serving. It's like I'm going to continually be controlled by, influenced by, consumed by alcohol because that's going to serve me well. And anyone who's been around as an adult knows that serves no one well because there's bad memories there. Martin Luther defines sin as self-bending in on self. That's what sin is. Self is, is you rather than you going up and out, it's you going in on in. And this is what Paul is saying is the problem. The problem is self is bending in on self. Self is serving self. Self is worshipping self. Self is all about self. And that is the problem. And so Paul contrasts this with then being filled with the Spirit. And we'll get to that in a second. But Paul, before he gets on to talking about how this 
relationship stuff works is basically saying if you want good, healthy relationships, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel to change your heart from being self-centered, self-absorbed, self-serving. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. And I love watching that couple on their wedding day read that out. And you're like, neither of you love each other well yet. This is going to be a great long journey of you learning um, that you are not patient, nor are they. You are not kind, nor are they. Uh, They envy, so do you. Uh, It's this idea of like these two people come together and they're not these things. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, God transforms the Christian. So that they no longer are self-bending in themselves, but self-actually bending out to the other. And so Christian love is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in Mere Christianity. He states that self-centeredness by its very character makes you blind to your own (laughs) self-centeredness while making you hypersensitive, offended and angered by the self-centeredness of others. If you've been married for a little while, can I get an amen? Amen. Some of you are like, I've been married long enough to know. Don't say amen to that. Well done. It was a trick. I got you all. So what the result of this is like this downward spiral, right? Where, where we want to serve ourselves, but it, it ends up leading us into anger and frustration and self-pity. And over time, it eats away at relationships. And so Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he, he speaks of these two categories of modern relationships. They are consumer relationships and therapeutic relationships. And these are not gospel relationships. But this is how a modern culture does relationships so modern relationships tend to look down on traditional relationships right that's what we do as modern people those old people from the dark ages and so typically secular modern relationships look down on ancient relationships and see them as oppressive and restrictive we're going to look at an example today if we get time uh, and we we're going to have a, a bit of like a, a natural reaction to like, oh, they picked the partners for their kids? Mm-mm, never work in our culture. If my dad tried to pick my wife, no way. If Carly's parents had to pick a husband, like, yeah, okay, they would have picked me, but I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Consumer relationships are built on the foundation of me. It's a me-centered relationship. I have needs. They need to be met. You're that person who's going to meet the need. This is what Keller says. It says, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good, and now it is a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us, but now it is about me. Therapeutic relationships are built on the foundation of self-realization. I want you to accept me as I am, while also fulfilling all of my desires. Make me happy. And so these relationships are defined by self-fulfillment rather than self-denial. And this is what our popular culture is giving us from Disney all the way through to all the movies we watch. It's find that person and that particular person is going to meet all the needs, fulfill your, your, your bucket and you will be happy ever after. One person gets that, another person gets that, they get married and they go... Well, why aren't you doing this? And they're over here. Well, I thought you were going to do that. They're like, no, you, 
you were going to fulfill me. You were going to fulfill me. Nobody fulfilled. You were going to serve me. I thought I was marrying mum. Why don't you like my mum? Okay. There's a few nods there from some ladies. I'm looking at those dudes. Um, I thought you were going to serve and meet my needs. And so what happens in modern relationships is the other was going to do all the thing for me and I'm putting no responsibility on myself to do the other thing for the other. Modern relationships. Why is it that all the statistics are telling us that modern relationships last the least amount of time, are the least satisfying and fulfilled in all of cultural history? Why? Because it comes from the me-centered point. So Keller goes on to say, to conduct a me marriage requires two completely well-adjusted, happy individuals with very little in the way of emotional neediness of their own or character flaws that need a lot of work. The problem is, there is almost like no one like that out there to marry. Do you see the problem? So the new conception of marriage as self-realization has put us in a position of wanting way too much out of our marriage. And so I want to give you three basically outworkings of this problem that we see that maybe we experience. Okay, first one is that this puts hypocritically unrealistic expectations on our partners. This philosophy, this worldview of relationships says, basically, you, I have like this special shaped hole in my heart that only you can fulfill. Why aren't you fulfilling it? I thought, that's, I thought that's who you were. I thought that's what you were made to do. And, and the Bible's like, incorrect though. So for example, a lot of young people will often ask me, um, how did you find your one? And I'll always ask, like, what's the one? They're like, you know, the, the, the one. The one. Like, explain that. It's like the, the one human being who's going to like do all the stuff. And I'm like, well, I never met them. That being is called God. And when you take a God and you try to impose that on a human and say, well, you're going to now be like that God, you have unreal expectations on that person that they'll never meet. They can't meet it. They're not designed to meet it. God is the one who serves our greatest, deepest needs. God is the one who fulfills our hearts, desires, and our souls. Deep inside, we, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fulfill. But modern relationships is saying, no, no, you've got to find the one. It's like, listen, if you're a Christian, you've already got the one. Find the two. And don't ever put them in the place of one. That belongs to the Lord. Can I get an Amen. So when a relationship is based on self-fulfillment rather than self-denial, we expect to receive a low-maintenance, high-capacity person who serves our needs and desires while placing low expectations on ourselves to do likewise. And then we end up frustrated within about six months. So currently in our culture, marriages are lasting less than seven years. Because what ends up happening is we get frustrated. That person's not meeting the need. They must be the problem. So let's go get a new one. Second thing is it puts crushing, unrealistic expectations on the self. If we believe that, deep down inside, we know we can't meet that. I can't be that for you. So what culture then does is like, I can't be that for you. So let's drop, basically let's pull down like the, the, the sort of standard and let's just do hook up, shack up, break up, cycles. 
because we're going to drop the level of what expectation in relationships are because we can't do that. So we're just going to have like lots of little, little relationships because we can never get to the point of meeting that commitment. So we won't do it. That's what culture is doing. That's why at the moment, culture is like, don't get married. Like you're locked in. You can't do that. And then it also puts an unhealthy and deficient view on singleness. In a consumer therapeutic framework of relationships, singleness is seen in terms of deficiency. To be single is to not have in that view. It is to be unmarried. Yet we never say of married people that they are unsingle. I love our unsingle relationship. Like we don't talk like that, but we can often talk like that of those who are single. Then they're not. They don't have. There's a deficiency. And the Bible says, no, that's not the case. That's not how we view either marriage or singleness. Singleness is therefore often framed in the negative. Therefore, the only way to cope with it is to rectify the problem, which means go and get a partner. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul is speaking as a single man. Not married, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What Paul says is marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. They're both gifts. What is the point of a gift in Paul's letter? The point of a gift is glorify God, edify people. That's the whole purpose of every gift. You you read uh, chapter 12, 13 and 14, the point of gifts is not to serve self. It is to glorify God and to serve the other. And so both uh, Paul sees marriage and singleness different to Chris Rock. Right? So Chris Rock says, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? They're the options. Another commentator said, marriage is like a public toilet. Those who are Uh, Those who are waiting on the outside are desperate to get in and those on the inside are desperate to get out. I'm just trying to beat Shane's terrible dad joke from last week, okay? And next week, I've got a bunch of good ones, all right? He's been a dad for like four seconds, so his dad jokes are horrible. I've got some good ones coming, okay? I've been here for a while. (laughs) Now, now if if we view marriage as a gift but singleness not as a gift, we do a disservice. One, it's not biblical, But what we do is we deny the intrinsic goodness of singleness that Paul says exists. Because the point of life is not to be married and have a family. That's the point of the modern sort of Christian life. But that's not not what the Bible says the the purpose of life is. The purpose of life is to to walk with Jesus, know him, follow him. And for some of us, we're going to get called into marriage. Some of us are going to get called to be single. And neither of those are better. They're just different. Some of us are going to get married and have children. Some of us are going to get married and not have children. One's not better than the other. They're just different. It also means that we will then see this as a superpower. That, that to be single, you need this special sort of superpower, this super grace to be able to remain single. This is what Sam Aubrey says in his seven myths about singleness. He says, in his writings, Paul always uses the word gift to mean an ability God gives to build others up. Paul is not speaking of some kind of elusive, stress-free state. The giftedness of being single for Paul lay in the freedom it gave him to concentrate on ministry in ways that a married man could not. 
He goes on to say that Paul may very well then have experienced what we would call an emotional struggle with singleness. We don't really know. He might have wanted to be married. We don't really know. But he not only found an ability to live a life of service to God and others in that situation, he discovered and capitalized on the unique features of the single life, such as time flexibility to minister with very great effectiveness. I just hung out with a pastor this week whose children are older than mine. Um, their last one is basically in grade 12. And now for the first time in their, their kind of married family life, they're now thinking, hang on, we now have like a bit of margin coming in our life, which might allow us to serve God for the rest of our lives in a way that we haven't been able to with having kids. And so now they're thinking, maybe we don't have to keep pastoring him. Maybe we can go and do missionary work in another country because now our kids have sort of grown up. We, we don't have the responsibility of them. And so even in their married context, they're thinking a different way. So it it denies the intrinsic goodness of singleness and it denies the difficulty of a godly marriage. (laughs) For those of you not married, just so you know, marriage is not easy. It's not bliss. You're taught that, you feel that on day one, and then you get married and you're like, who are you? Because this is not the person that I married. And I'm like, I was hiding this one from you. As long as I could, because I knew if you saw this one, no married. So I hit it and I bound it up, and now it's like, now you're in. This is, now you get me. (laughs) The Book of Common Prayer says this about marriage it warns that marriage is not to be entered, uh, not by any of the, uh, to be enterprised, nor taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, or wantingly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. That is not the picture that we give married couples or young couples getting married. We're like, get married. It's amazing. You have the best life of your heart. And it's like, yes, and it's going to be really hard. You have days where you're like, I don't want to serve you. I don't want to enjoy this. The Bible tells us that we are limited beings. We cannot fulfill the other. We cannot. So don't put that expectation on each other. The Bible also tells us we are broken beings, that we are self-centered, self-serving, self-loving beings. And so part of what relationships are about is getting us to bend back out. God wants to redeem us. God wants to restore us. God wants to change us to be like him and to come and serve. And that is the hardest thing about relationships. I don't want to serve you. You don't want to serve me. And you were both called to do that. And the Christian has something. We have something that is in our toolkit that others don't have. What is that? Well, Paul goes on and gives us a solution. It says, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see the trajectory of every single point he just made? Have a look at that. Addressing who? Self? Nope. Addressing one another? We're making melody to the Lord. We're giving thanks to everything to God the Father. And then we're submitting to the other out of reverence for God. Do you see the change? So first half is self-serving. It's all about you. Care about you. Serve yourself. And God says, no, that's not the Christian. That's not the kingdom man or woman. The kingdom man or woman has the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who has come into our lives, changed us. And through the power of the gospel, now we're like, man, we have been served. We have received. We have been fulfilled. So now I don't need another to fill me. I'm already filled because I'm with God. God has already filled me. God has accepted me. God has loved me. God has called me. God has given me a purpose. So now now I can can come over here and serve you because I'm not empty. I'm full. 
I'm filled with the Spirit. You're not empty. You're full. So you're not looking for the other to fulfill. You're not looking to the other to serve you. You're going, I've already had that. So now let's come. Now I can serve you. And you can serve me. And I can serve you. And you can serve me. And then you have this really great dance. And that sounds wonderful. Have a chat with Tony and Esther. How's it going? A little bit later, okay? For those of you who are new, they've been married four seconds. The solution is the gospel brought home to our hearts by the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we are humbled, grateful, and freed to serve the other. Picture, before we were Christians, we were wasting our lives away serving self. Now that we are Christians, for those of us that are Christians, we are now serving and giving our life away. This is a picture of self bending in, out of self, and not bending in. And so I want to walk through just quickly as we finish up, just for a few minutes, I just want to walk through a good example of this in the Old Testament. Genesis 24, Abraham is old. And he's, he's about to die and God had given Abraham a promise that God would multiply through his life the family of God. And so his son Isaac is alive, but he's yet to have a wife to continue on this story. And so what Abraham does, is he calls a servant. He asks the servant, hey, I want you to go. I need you to find my wife because I'm probably getting to the end of my life. And so again, in their context, in our context, very, very different. So this servant goes exploring. Abraham gives him specific instructions on, on who to find. And he prays. He asks for a whole lot of help. He has dialogue with the woman. He has dialogue with the family. And eventually she gets brought back and Isaac's there and they kind of meet each other for the first time. That's kind of Genesis 24. But in there is like this really cool stuff that I think is absolutely fundamental. And I think it's what Paul is trying to sort of get at here of what it can look like to have God-centered, gospel-centered relationships. And throughout the story, you just see God everywhere. So verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth. This is like a, an ancient handshake. Okay. Yes. A little weird, a little strange. Not how we do things in our culture. I struggle with the man to man hug, let alone thigh stuff. Okay. Not into this, uh, but this is just kind of a modern uh, an ancient handshake. All right. Promise me, swear to me, uh, swear to God. Um, that you're not going to get a woman, you're not going to get a wife for my son who's from this land, which is Canaan. Why? Because that's going to take my son away from worshipping Yahweh. And that's the most important thing. My son Isaac, our family, we worship Yahweh. That's our God. So don't get a woman from somewhere else for him. Okay? Promise me that, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 12, and it says, and this servant says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master. So Abraham basically says, go and do this thing. If she won't come, it's fine, but I want you to go do this thing. But he's feeling the pressure. Like he's been serving this guy for a while and he's like, oh man... <laughs> That's a lot of pressure to put on a dude, right? It's like, I need you to go find. What, what if he picks, like, 
that's a greater partner. Like there's a lot of pressure on this guy. So he's like, where does he go? Well, he goes to God. All right, God. This is what you're calling me to do. I'm going to pray. Then you see later when he comes and he meets and speaks to the father and brother of Rebecca. says, then Laban and Bethel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. When, when Isaac is introduced in the story in verse 62, where do we see Isaac? Isaac, it says in verse 62, now Isaac had returned and was dwelling in Negev and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. As you read Genesis 24, central to the story is we're worshiping Yahweh. That's the centerpiece. Not I need to be fulfilled. Not I need my, my needs. These two people are not desperate for a relationship. They're on about their life. And what they're on about is God. And so if you want to, for those of you who are single and are wanting to get married, make that the primary thing of your marriage. Find someone that worships Yahweh. All throughout the Bible, you're going to see, don't, don't marry there. Don't do those types of relationships. Do these relationships. Why? Because this is actually an important part of marriage. It's not just emotional intimacy, not just physical intimacy, not just like intellectual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy is so, so important. To pray together, to worship together, to love the Lord together, to serve together. Like you get that stuff, other stuff can be worked out. I'm telling you. I've seen this over and over and over again where it's like, yeah, but he's good looking. I'm like, yeah, but he doesn't love Jesus. So you're going to be frustrated one day or you're going to become like him one day and you won't worship Jesus either. Worship Jesus. Get about worshiping Jesus. Get about making sure Jesus is the center of your heart. And another thing you see is that everybody in this story has incredible character. Modern relationships focus on who we are to the, uh, who the other person is to me. Christian relationships focus on who I am to God, to myself, that's my character, and to the other. And so it says in verse 12, and he said, O Lord, my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Verse 14, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So he kind of fleeces it out there. He's like, all right, I've got to go find a, a, a woman. He knows that women would come to the well and get the water. It's kind of culturally how things... So he sits there and he, and he watches and he's like, God, I want, if I'm going to get a, a wife from a master's son, I want her to be a woman of character. So he knows every other woman there will go, yeah, I'll give you some water. But he's like, but let her be someone who has the character that goes beyond that, says, actually, I'm going to water and kind of give drink to all of your camels. Now, I've got children in my house who sometimes they feel like they eat and drink like camels. You know, it's like the cupboard is just con- like it's costing us. I think we have a budget of a million dollars a year just for food. Camels drink a lot. I don't know a lot about them. But what I can tell you is she's pulled this water jar up, water, water, water. Some commentators say she would have been there for hours serving. And this man is like, that's character. That's a woman who just wants to serve. Before he'd finished speaking, behold, Rebecca came out with a water jar on her shoulder. 
The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. What I see through the story of Genesis 24 as the band come up is that there are two things that are absolutely fundamental to, to good, healthy relationships. Worshipping God. Can I just ask, like, we asked this last week a little bit, but like, how are we going with the God thing? How's our walk with God? Single, married, divorced, married. Just where are you? And then for those of you who are in relationships, how does, that, how does that flesh out in your family, in your marriage? Like, where's God in that? And how can you reorient that and start going, you know what, the more important than anything we do is we know God and we walk with him. Let's get that right. Let's prioritize that. And then the second thing is the character. Isaac is out there serving his father. Rebecca is out there serving her family. These are, these are two people who are kind of put up to say, these, these are good, godly character. And the reason that's important it's because character not only lasts, it grows. And part of the Christian journey is we actually become better human beings. We become more and more like God over time, over time. I am not the man that Carly once married. She is not the woman that I once married. She's way better. I'm a little bit better. And, and the, the point of marriage is not just to be fulfilling each other's tanks and cups. It's, it's like, I don't, I, don't need, I don't need you to do that for me to make me that. You don't need me to do that. It's like, we're serving Jesus together. And these, this couple comes together as they're like, we're on about Yahweh. We're on about his mission. And we're, we're building our character. And somewhere along the way, here comes these two people and they get introduced to each other. Recently, I met a pastor who had a joke who said, all of our young adults keep getting married and they keep meeting each other at Red Frogs. Red Frogs seems like it's this hookup ministry. And I was like, why, why, do, why do you think that is? And it, he kind of had this negative viewpoint of Red Frogs. If you know what Red Frogs is, it's a, it's a Christian ministry that seeks to love and serve a generation. And so they, they do um, stuff at schoolies, they do stuff at... Um, big day outs and all this sort of stuff where they're trying to help basically serve young people, protect them from making bad life choices and then hopefully out of that get to a point where they can have God, God conversations with them. And this particular pastor was like getting a little bit frustrated that lots of, lots of people, basically it was lots of young adults in his church were finding young adults from another church and then leaving his church and going to their church. But I was like, I actually think it's wonderful because what's happening is two people are on about Jesus, they're trying to serve him and then they kind of look to the side and they're like, huh, you do that too? And then they build like this thing that's built on something that's not about being fulfilled on themselves. And they're like, actually, you're about serving Jesus. You're going to pay money, give up your time, serve all this generation, clean up their vomit, clean up all their mess. That's what I'm doing. So basically what I'm saying is if you're looking for someone, go to Red Frogs and serve. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you get, you get the point, right? It's about getting on with journey. And now listen, when, when you do find someone, right, this is, the, this is the difficulty, then all of a sudden you stop doing that stuff. That's the temptation. Now we make it all about the relationship. It's like, no. 
No, no, no. God stays first. We keep doing his thing and together that's what builds us up and allows our hearts to be outward, serving him, serving the other, not serving self. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we recognize that we are fallen, broken, sinful men and women. Um, we, we have a heart that's disposed to wanting to be served. It's disposed to wanting to look at ourselves and see what we can get out of something. But that is not your heart. That is not how you have treated us. If, if you were to, to relate to us in that way, we would still be separated from you. But you have modeled to us what it is like to serve the other, to come, to give up, to sacrifice, to love. And Holy Spirit, we need your help in this. We can't transform our own hearts. We, we can't go from being men and women that want to sit on a throne and be served to be men and women that hop off a throne and come and lay down our lives one for the other and submit one to another. So I pray that you would help transform our hearts, whether we're single or whether we're married whether we have kids or don't have kids. God, we, we need to have you transforming our lives and we pray that you would. God, enlighten our hearts to see the beauty of the goodness of the gospel. Help us to keep you on that throne. Not our relationships, not our marriages, not our families, not our children, you. And help us to be men and women that serve and love you and out of that we pray that you would grow and strengthen all of our relationships i pray this in jesus name everybody said amen thank you for listening to this podcast from life center church located in north lakes we exist to make mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon declare and display the gospel of jesus christ in all of life if you would like more information about us please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.